0: This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 249 ARCS with Cole Worley. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. Hey Hunter, how's it going? How are Hello, you? Hello, it's me. Uh, Hi, I'm Hunter. We just had the realization that this is episode two forty nine. We are one episode away from two hundred and fifty episodes. That's not, a, that's not important, is it? I is don't that know. supposed to be important? I hope not. Because I don't do have anything planned for it. Yeah. But uh yeah,
1: only if you're planning on getting to five hundred. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Two fifty is only notable if it's half of something. Uh, and that voice you just heard is our dear friend Cole Worley. Hello, Cole. Hey guys. Welcome, uh, we're glad to have you, and of course, as the whole world knows, you're here to talk about y'all's newest Kickstarter, y'all's newest venture, Arcs, uh, which we just played on stream yesterday as of the time of this recording, and we sat down with you... A couple weeks ago uh to have you show it to us so so far hunter and i have only played uh what you call small arcs which is sort of Mm -hmm. the base game experience but that's not the arcade version the the arcade arcade mode yeah i like calling it
1: arcade mode uh our editor josh earsley likes calling it sharks
0: (laughs) short arcs that's good uh but that is, of course, not the full extent of what Arcs is. So maybe just to, to kick things off, and then I'm sure we will find many a tangent to go down. Can you kind of give us the 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 floor pitch of Arcs, uh, small Arcs, and the campaign?
1: Sure. So Arcs is the next game uh, from Leader Games. Um, so the same company that made Root and Oath. This is the project we've been working on for almost a year and uh, it's a huge project. Uh, On the one hand, it is a space strategy game that uses some sort of card playing, lightly trick-taking mechanisms. Um, It's pretty fast playing, you're gonna be throwing dice at each other, there's a lot of shouting, often that happens. Uh, And then, and it's pretty fast, usually it takes two hours or so, or a little less than that, once players really get the hang of it. Uh, And then uh, the other part of the game is you can take that apparatus and you can plug it into this campaign mode which basically takes a six-hour game and divides it into three smaller
0: games. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And that lets you do all kinds of things. Uh, And so, you know, I usually think about the games I'm working on as having kind of urgencies to them. There's got to be a reason why they exist. And ARX is the first game I've worked on where I really feel like there's two urgencies. Like, one of them is I really wanted a good 90-minute space strategy game that you could play in two hours. That didn't feel like it was rushed. It didn't feel like yeah. it was uh, like I didn't want to feel like I was playing Masters of Orion on fast forward. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing is, I looked around at a lot of the campaign games and thought, it's weird that most of the big campaign games uh, aren't actually designed to be campaign games. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about the most successful one in board gaming, Pandemic Legacy, is 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 Pandemic. It's not. It was never built to be a campaign game. Right. And so right. the second part of Arcs, this campaign format, is. The whole design is actually built to be plugged in in episodic form- format, mm-hmm. and that allows us to get away with things that, like, pandemic legacy can't get away with.
0: Right. What is that? Um. What, what kind of things are would you reference as things you, you're getting away with in the campaigns of arcs? Or do you do you not want to spoil like story? No, means? no, but I, I, a... no,
1: I can. Well, so the thing is, the the narrative things that's like that's frosting on the cake. That, yeah. That's extra. Sure. Um, the things that we're getting away with are things like uh, most games, um. I think about game. I think about games as like little ent- systems with a lot of entropy, right? Mm-hmm. And by the end of the game, all that entropy—it's just spent all the energy in the system. It's all gone, right? Like yeah. the last turn of Twilight Imperium is not the first turn of anything. Yeah, right. everything's exhausted. <laughs> like, if you, and I always, I always think about. Um, I always think about playing Agricola uh, when I used to play it a lot with, with my with my partner. She would say, well, I can we play one more turn because I was so close to getting everything. And yeah. so once we said, yeah, we'll play one more turn of Agricola. Why not? For the lulls. Right. And it was horrible. It was so boring because we had too many actions. <laughs> yeah. we had, our engines were running too hot. And most games, they drop the curtain like right before the wheels fall off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that separates arcs is I kind of went into the whole game saying, no, you actually can take. I, you, this game can be designed as such that when you're done with that first game, you could keep playing in in the same game, mm-hmm. and it, mm-hmm. like the wheels aren't going to fall off. Now they might fall off by game three, right. but that's that's okay because it's built as kind of a trilogy, right? Uh, and that that just allows us to to sort of do all sorts of different things when it comes to the narrative design and the mechanical design. Yeah.
0: And that well, that's like the core different because obviously y'all took a big swing with Oath in terms of that sort of narrative mm-hmm. campaign thing but oath notably never ends and and arcs is designed to be campaigns that do come to some sort of logical conclusion uh by by the third one so what was sort of the differences in design and and thinking when it comes to trying to like write campaigns that then do have ends as opposed to how y'all went forward with oath being this never ending chronicle
1: when i was working on oath i had these rules you know, that were kind of, they're on a post-it on my monitor. And one of them was, you know, I want how a game wins, how a game ends should matter more than who who wins the game. Mm -hmm. But one of the other rules I had was, uh, Oath can't make itself unplayable. Uh, because that's going to screw everything up, and so the the kind of time jump that happens at the end of the game of the Oath is this the, this immense healing, like all the resources kind of get reset, the armies right. come back. There's this de-escalation, and mm-hmm. the game needs that because other th- otherwise uh, it's going to just it, it's it's going to uh, not work at all. And you know, I think about Oath as having as being fundamentally a game about continuity and breakage and erosion but always continuance, Mm -hmm. always continuity. Whereas arcs is much more about disruption and endings. Like arcs actually can end. And it it allows me to embrace a more apocalyptic design ethos because I can say like, no, like we're heading towards the end times. Like all of this player's buildings (laughs) are now ships and their ships are buildings. And we're not going to, we're not going to worry about it because I know that I'm building to like a specific climax. And this actually has created a very weird feedback loop where when I was working on Oath, there were all these things I wanted to do that I couldn't do because of my rules that I had to keep in my mind. And so all of those ideas became the seeds of ARCs. And then a really weird, interesting like, back feedback. That, that's not a word. Um, <laughs> uh, there's been a really interesting feedback loop here because it's hmm. come back at me. Because what's happened now is as I'm working on ARCs, there's all these things where I'm like, oh, this actually is an idea for Oath that oh, i like, right. can't do in arcs and so both the projects are kind of like, feeding into each other and it's lovely uh and it would be even more lovely if there were a few more hours of daylight each yeah day. sure
0: uh, <laughs> we all have to move to a different planet so that we just have yeah. more, more daylight hours uh i i love that idea of arcs feeling apocalyptic it's we've so we we provided this quote for y'all's kickstarter that is that it's this is just oh my the, god the meanest dice i've ever played with and in our stream yesterday it was unreal how just colossally mean these dice can be to you. You can roll a lot of dice in this game and nothing
2: is and sometimes nothing can happen. <laughs> nothing can happen, which that's interesting. It's interesting to roll eight eight dice and then nothing at all happens. And sometimes you roll a dice and that's good. All, honestly, mm-hmm. that's fine. At it's this point my opinion every of the time. dice yeah. is when nothing happens it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Sometimes
0: <laughs> you roll a dice and only bad things happen to you. <laughs> right. <laughs> I I well and I love that that's what feeds into this like to me, there's a feeling in arcs, and we 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 sort of like tinkered with the campaign stuff with you, but but Hunter and I have not played like a full campaign yet, and I think we 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 hope to very very soon. But yeah, yeah, next week I'm hoping the, to. Yeah, the the thing I've noted with it though, and with these dice, is there's a certain level of an apocalyptic, is exactly the right word, where it's like I will get to the point in a, in a session of arcs where it's like I can't endure this anymore. My people can't endure this. <laughs> Horrible reckoning we've been dealt with. I it must come to an end. We need a full reset for the next game, or else I might cry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, we uh, one one of uh, one of the things about that I like about working in arcs is the whole system allows for players to make escalating bids, yeah. like more desperate attempts. Oftentimes, it doesn't even have it doesn't even have to do with the game's action system. No, it will happen in the space of one action where you're like, okay, I need to set my battle plan. Okay, well, I just, uh, you know what? I just need to, like, bump art. I'm just going to do, if I just did one piece of damage, that'd be fine. And then you're like, well, let's, I'll, like, put one assault die in there. And actually, it'd be lovely if I could, like, steal something, too. And then you'll roll, (laughs) and it'll be a disaster. And you're like, okay. So now I have a second battle action. I have totally trashed my own fleet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And at this point, I should go safe, except now... Maybe I go even harder. Yeah. Maybe I double down on my my, my position. And this is like, I mean, this is such a core part of the system in the game. When I first started working on the game, I told, um, I had a meeting with with the development team and I said, uh, okay, very important design principle. Everything needs to be able to sustain damage before it's destroyed. Right. Mm -hmm. And Josh and Kyle, Uh, So Josh Earsley, our editor, and he's a a developer, a wonderful person to work with. And also Kyle, our artist, fabulous. And they both said, why, this is horrible. I hate this from an art perspective (laughs) because it means that we have to like tip over or flip things. And Josh hated it from a usability perspective. He's like, is there any way that you can get rid of this sustained damage thing. I said, no, No. it is utterly (laughs) foundational to the design because it does two things. One, it allows people to react. Oftentimes you get smacked in the face and then you can decide, do you want to leave or do you want to stay? And if your ships die, it's your own fault. But likewise, (laughs) it allows players to build these big glass cannons. Yeah. (laughs) And that, and to me, this is one of the things that is always missing in, uh, and I think this is true of This is true of Oath and Root, as well as TI. So I'm not just ragging on like the the, the bigger game, but it's true (laughs) for a lot of my own games. Uh, When you read military history, um, brittle offensive positions are the norm. Mm -hmm. That's like, those are the turning points in the big battles where you're like, wow, my position is extremely brittle, but I'm going to push and hope the enemy breaks before I break. Right. And ARCs, the whole combat system is designed to create a situation where you have six damaged ships and you go in and the enemy has four ships and you're like okay if i roll badly i will lose everything yeah but if i roll well i can completely turn the the the, the war around and so i think i'm i'm so so happy with the um the operational tempo and like how ships move and fight in this game Mm -hmm. because it. Captures a type of wargaming, like an operational scale of wargaming that I love. And almost none of those ideas you see grafted in other places in the hobby because they're just hard to graft. And even when you do graft them, people think, like, well, this is cruel and unreasonable.
2: Yeah. 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 Well, who doesn't love cruel and unreasonable, though? <laughs> like, right. I mean, where's the issue?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think about uh, Mark Svinich's, um amazing Hannibal Rome versus Carthage where you, it's one of the early car driven war games. You're fighting the second Punic war. And one of the things that I love that's amazing about this design is you will raise an army and go like invade Spain or something. And uh, because you were dumb, you will lose because you didn't bring enough troops because you positioned them badly because you got stuck in the Pyrenees. Like there's any number of reasons. And what happens is you'll like try to invade and you'll just naturally do a bad job and then you'll have to go home in, 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 in utter, just utter loss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was your fault because you didn't right. understand, like, these are the rules of campaigning. And so uh, there was a game I watched of arcs where I saw someone uh, move a ship in to attack. And then there was a blight appeared on the planet, yep. which is like the uh, a neutral interlocular, right? A neutral interlo- interloper, sorry. Um, and they had one ship and they're like, okay, now I'm going to battle. And they like threw a die and they missed. And they threw and they're like, well, I'm gonna use another battle action. They kept throwing one die. And I'm like, and, and they were like, I hate this. I feel like attacking is weak. And I'm like, you're using one ship. Yeah, you did nothing. One right. Yeah. <laughs> like, let me tell you how to double your odds. Use two. <laughs> right. Um and and I and one of the things I really like about the game is that a, a single ship fleet is a very important thing in this game. Yeah. A double ship fleet is also important, but has different utility. And then like the three to five ship, like Primary fleet like task force, yeah, right. And in the way, and, and this is again where I'm, I'm showing my, my colors is like someone's played a lot of war games. Uh, th- this game owes a lot to like naval war games and like task force thinking, right? And, and uh, one one of the parts of the designer I really like is you'll have you'll say, okay, I've got these six ships. Our objective is to like take that planet and maybe take control of the system. And you'll move your ships in that way, and then you're like, okay, do I want to break some ships off? Mm-hmm. And I know, and I know that I'm weakening my fleet. It's going to be harder to pull that fleet back together. But I'm gonna split up a little bit, and then halfway through the through the mission, which could be like a hand later, you'll say like, "Oh God, my fleet's in trouble. Do I send them home? Mm-hmm. Do I try to repair them? Is there a way that we can like build a new base out here? And I can start building new ships, get a foothold, and that kind of like campaign thinking." And here, this is, it, it is. Uh, Sidebar, very frustrating to be running a Kickstarter campaign with a campaign game that uses <laughs> mechanisms of military campaigns, yeah and so I'm, that that word is getting very um, curry, <laughs> like <laughs> dusty in my mouth <laughs> but th- that that kind of like um operational military operational thinking yeah um is I think one of the strongest suits of the game, and it's just something that I really don't see in any other strategy games of yeah. this this way because ti is great but you prosecute wars in ti in a way that is quite similar to like Axis and allies but with more special effects and some subtlety yeah right uh but but it is ultimately like big ship block yeah. move in you know figure out who's better yeah right And then, but, but but the battles are, are in ti i mean don't you find that like how much retreating do you see at high level ti play you should see more
0: realistically and i think right? i think when we yes. see the be- when we see like the most substantive like big victories it's someone who like expertly retreated away from the things that ma- i mean i i well yeah thinking- you should basically always retreat in ti if you're going to lose you should always yeah, yeah. there's no you reason should you should be able retreat. to run yes. the odds and know what's going to happen and just get out of there and and like the smartest players are the ones that set up retreat because you can't just do a retreat generally yeah, speak in have a, ti you have, you have to, to have sort of the path Positionally so- up yeah so the players that plan for the opportunity to retreat if it comes up are like the ones that are the most galaxy brain kind of thing.
1: But but and I I completely agree with that. And it was when I used to play a lot of Ti, I was always bummed out that the retreat rules felt like yeah. they were like unloved. Right. And and I think it's because players get this thing in their head, which is very reasonable because it's a it's a reflection of the system, mm-hmm. and that is. My, my fleet is going to do X damage to you yep. now or later. Right. Right. I might as well do it now because then I don't have to spend an action to do it. Right.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and I think that makes sense in, in the shape of TI. Like, I think that is a, 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 mostly rational behavior. Although there are instances where a well-timed r- retreat can do a lot of damage. And because of the way that the sustained damage system works in arcs and because of the way the action system works in arcs, oftentimes retreating is great. Yeah. Yeah. You're like no, like I am. I am gonna pull out a move action here because I don't think you have the move actions you need to follow me. Right, right. And, the, the and, then, I, and then I can is, come back. So to like a, that's
0: something I felt. I mean, obviously, we the first uh, I don't know maybe thirty minutes of our stream we played with significantly less movement than we were supposed to have. But even with that, like in mind, it was so hard to choose my own time. Like I had to have the right hand, or someone else had to play the like the right lead card for me to be able to move at all. So you can never rely on just being able to like go where you want to it's like i don't know the next time i'm gonna be allowed to do that so i need to just go ahead and get the thing done now or whatever or else i may never get an opportunity again Mm -hmm. i like how in uh thus far in arcs it
2: feels like the movement can uh and really any action is like this right uh the any action can be either feel like very rare and very needed or suddenly bountiful yeah like Mm-hmm. Suddenly the ships could be suddenly it could be like a merry chase but uh oftentimes in the kind of trick taking uh aspect of the design it can feel like oh my god I really need just I really need some movement right now yeah. and I do not have that right. and I kind of like that aspect of it of it just being like you never really know how much you're going to
0: get of any one right. action. Well and so the second it does fire like the second you see that opportunity it's like oh I wasn't quite ready to do this right now but now is my opportunity, and Cole. That's sort of what you were saying earlier about just the idea of like, I have to push my luck right now. I like I have to just kind of try for it because now is the opportunity I've been given, and I I, I guess let's see how it goes? Question mark Like, just, just roll for the fences. Yeah.
1: I, one one thing that we found when we were playtesting is that players were not copying as much as we expected. Oh them yeah. To. Mm-hmm. And it was one. And I think this is a thing that happens as players get better at at the game where they realize like, oh you've decided it's time to move. Mm-hmm. My hand doesn't have any moves. This could be my only right, chance. Right, 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 <laughs>
2: exactly. But
1: like I need to, like, who cares if I'm throwing away like a one production or like a five production? Mm-hmm. I might need to move right now. Yeah. Right. And, and that, like, you know, I, I think that in development, we will, of course, be, like, goosing the action system a little bit, adjusting the numbers, all that kind of stuff. Sure. But, but, but the, general, the general action calculus and how people kind of make different sorts of action wagers in the game, that has, has stayed so stable. Mm-hmm. And, so the, and this has been an interesting thing about watching people um, play the game for the first time and have comments. Um, because sometimes they'll they'll complain like oh felt felt like a round of actions felt this felt that and I, I look at those I look at those comments like I'm like hey, you you need to play more because right. the the action system has weirdly like been almost unchanged for what is it now like six months mm. which is almost unprecedented right in, my, mm-hmm. in
0: development uh, it was
1: just like it snapped into focus there were been little adjustments here and there and there's probably more little ones to to come but. Um, it, 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 I think that this is a game that uh, it is fair, fairly easy to teach, but it has a skill curve that is just wicked. Yeah, like a good player is going to wipe the floor with right. a new player.
0: And and as you've talked about, that's kind of intrinsic to how y'all are releasing it, which is to say, like you are, you guys are doing this base game thing so that people can kind of get their feet wet. Make a bunch of mistakes in their first couple playthroughs before they commit to their first campaign. Basically, where the 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 vibe I've been getting is like the idea of a campaign is like, hey, y'all should know kind of really the flow of a full, you know, five turns. Like you should know how that feels because with any of these strategy games we talk about with Root and stuff, we all know that like Root, your first couple games are a, the polar opposite to how you play once you've got. 15 games under your belt or more Once you learn what the other players are doing too and not just what you're doing. So the the vibe I've been getting is like, yeah, those first like two turns right now, because I'm new at the game, I get cocky. and I'm like, well, I'll be able to do stuff later. And then I learn, no, you never get to do anything later. You just need to do everything. And so like, as I've learned those lessons, I'm thinking about what my first campaign will get to look like. And it's like, I have to come out the gate ready to do all of these things because now I'm thinking about three total games and how i'm going to be escalating my empire over the course of all three of those games
2: or your hand even can lead you astray in this way at one point when we were playing yesterday i had a mobilization four uh in my hand and it was going to allow me to move four times and i spent the entire round thinking about how i was going to get to play that and move four times but how many times i actually ended up moving in that hand was like twice yeah. Uh, because I did not end up setting up that 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 four move and making it happen because the rest of my hand couldn't I couldn't become uh, I couldn't take the trick take and lead. become the first player which is the only way that I could actually play that and get four out of it. So it was like I had a hand that let when I look at it, I'm like, this is this is really good. This is like seven moves right here. <laughs> and then because I'm not at that next step. It's actually two moves to me. <laughs> which is right. Kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, we, I mean, we, we put a lot of thought in, into the split and there, there, there wasn't like any single reason why we decided to split the products sure. the, the way we, the, the way we did. I mean, I wrote like a 3000 word design diary about it. And like, and the truth of that design diary is like, I could have written like another 3000 uh-huh. words. Like there, was, there, there was, there was, there was, there's like a lot of thought that went into it. And, uh, you know, so I think some of this has to do with, uh, Complexity, and I think Dan in his preview said that sometimes small arcs feels like it doesn't trust the the, the player, mm-hmm. which I thought was a very insightful comment. Because like, yeah, I think like maybe that's right. I got to do some soul searching on that. Like, maybe <laughs> in fact I don't trust folks. um But I also, you know, I don't want to ask someone who's never sung a song in front of an audience to like perform in the ring cycle. Right. You know right. What I mean, like, you have to you have to like really. I want I want to give them a way to. uh To kind of like learn learn how how the system works, and I mean, and and, you know, uh, Kyle told me while we were thinking about this, he said one of the things I've always liked about our games at at cons is that uh, you know someone comes up to our booth and we have a copy of Root, and they're like, "Oh, I'm excited about this," and we could tell them like. Yeah, like go play it tonight. Like the walkthrough is not that hard to jump Mm -hmm. into. Like just go set it up. And uh, Oath was was never had a con show. Oath has never had a release show just because of 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 a pandemic. Yeah. Um, And um, if we had had a a release show, we wouldn't be able to like hand people a copy of Oath and say like, hey, like play this tonight. (laughs) Like I don't want them playing a game of Oath on their hotel floor. Right. Because it's a horrible. That's a horrible way to experience the game. Um, And when we were sorting through this, Kyle said, you know, I, I I like the idea of splitting the product because I want to hand people a copy of arcs, which is uh, in Kyle's terms, like I think the game he probably likes most maybe of any that we've worked on. Mm. Uh, and he, and he's talking specifically, he's never played the campaign. He's talking specifically of the single session yeah, game. Yeah. He's like, I like the fact that I can like hand people arcs and say like, no, go play it. And if you really love it, like come back the next day and pick up the campaign. Right. But like you, like this is a full experience. It's not a demo. Um, and so that, I mean, I really liked that. I liked the idea that there is a whole group of people for whom our larger games are scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That can that, that can get on, exp- experience the whole game, never even necessarily need the campaign. Right. And and that's good. But I also really liked with, uh, I liked how it gated the complexity. So the campaign game is a little more complicated in, yeah. in, its, in, in its core bones than small arcs is. And when we were making the, kind of almost surgical like split between the, the two products i took like the 15 percent of the rules that's hard to explain mm-hmm. and put all of those in, <laughs> into in the, the campaign, campaign. Yeah. and i think you know whenever i mean i always think about i have a development practice which is when i'm when i'm developing i'll say like i'll teach the game to a lot of people who haven't played it and the parts where i find myself being embarrassed of the rules i'm like ah that's I don't like teaching this. I mean, I'm sure y'all have taught TI plenty of times. Hmm. There are parts of TI that are really easy and fun to teach. Right, right. And there are parts where you're like, Okay, this thing is a little weird. Yeah, and Let's I, want you to not, I want to talk about production
0: capacity for a 2nd Yeah, wa- uh, you're yeah, gonna hate yeah, this every time.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're gonna hate this. You're gonna forget about it. Yeah, and then when, when you're not playing the game, you're gonna think it's actually kind of cool. And then when you play the game, you're like, this sucks. Yeah, <laughs> um, and and I think you know, so I'm always watching for things like that. And so when we when we split the games, up, I said like, okay, the parts that I don't like teaching, but which are really important, I'm gonna move them to the campaign mode. Mm-hmm. And what this did is it allowed me to do the campaign without having to simplify things. Yeah, Because in development, if I didn't have arcs, the base game, small arcs as the on-ramp, then I would have to go look at the campaign and really tighten it and pull things out. Yeah. But if I know players already know how to play small arcs, then the campaign is like a page and a half of extra rules. Now those rules are weird, uh, but <laughs> I, I i'm not I'm not worried about it because yeah. it, and, and also I'll, I'll give you an example uh, in in arcs, the the core game, uh players are playing a kind of traditional strategy game where everyone is on their own little team. Yeah, you know, you're all next to each other, but this is like, I've got planets, you've got planets. We might as well be playing like Root or something, right and then in in long arcs, uh, the game has a start that is very similar to oath, where. We're all part of the same state. Everybody starts with the same alignment. Okay, so that means there's an alignment system, which if you've read the BGG forums, you know that, like, alignment systems are super scary and probably generate, like, 60% of all rules questions about oath. (laughs) Um, And uh, the alignment system is not only as scary as oaths. It's Well, that's not fair. The alignment system is simpler than oaths. But what makes it less simple is that it's modular. Right. So at the start of the game, you've got these like Imperial regions, and then you've got an outlaw position. And the Imperial regions are on the same team, but there's an important caveat, which is that there are these Imperial ships, these old ancient uh, kind of busted up battle cruisers that are sitting around the map. And they're like police ships. Mm-hmm. So wherever they're at, there's a truce among the Imperial players, mm. which means one Imperial player could like kick it, kick it into a nebula and then punch his friend. And then, you know, the, it's like a schoolyard bully. Then like, you know, you know, they hug them as soon as the, as the teacher. Right. The room. Uh, like everything's fine. But that like, you know, essentially there is this like network of ceasefire that players are using the move actions in a kind of auction to manipulate what parts of the empire are actually under ceasefire mm-hmm. and what parts are a little bit like an outlaw. So you have that, you have that alignment and then you have the outlaw alignment, which says, I don't care about anything now. Uh, so those are a little tricky to understand, but Players who know arcs will be excited by them. they are like, oh, this is giving me the good thematic grounding that I felt like I was missing when I was playing arc. Like, it it instantly is situating me. But they're also, and this gets into arcs as a campaign game, they're modular. So, for instance, um, if you are in the imperial alignment, you get the benefit of sharing some control, getting some protection. All that's great, but you do have to pay a tax. There's this random tax, um, and if you can't pay it, you lose action cards the next round. So that's horrible. Mm-hmm. And so it might be like, hey, Empire demands you know relics. So you need to pay a relic out, out the game every turn or, or th- this turn, and then there'll be a new random tax. Mm-hmm. And it is brutal and people hate it. And so <laughs> the Imperial Regents are like, I kind of want to leave. But if I leave, it's going to be also bad. Yeah. So that they have to juggle that. And then if the, if the Empire's plot lines grow and develop, if the person, uh, there, there's one of the, the plot seeds is called the Imperial Steward. That's a line. And if they do really well, they start changing how the Imperial alignment works. So, for instance, the Imperial ships get fixed. They get a lot better and stronger in later (laughs) games. Uh, And that's great if you're an Imperial regent. But what's less great is now the Imperial tax is not random. It's decided by... the first minister, who's who is a new alignment mm. that is going to be probably this imperial steward, and instead of the, that tax going out of the game, they get it all. Oh so gosh. now they're starting to turn. They're saying, "Hey, I demand that you all give me psionic resources. <laughs> <laughs> you need to pay me. Yeah. And if you leave, I'm going to send my imperial ships after you." Mm. Um, and so the alignment then, what what it means to have an imperial alignment in the game starts shifting. Little levers starts turning on and turning off, and. That's very exciting from a design and from a narrative in the storytelling sense, but it is utterly overwhelming to someone who's like, what is a card trick?
2: Yeah. Right. <laughs> like,
1: how, like you mean my ships can be tipped over? I mean, like, I it it, it, it was it was so interesting to watch the playtesters play, play the, the campaign who hadn't played anything because they their heads were spinning. Right. And and one of the developers came in and said, you know, one of the core pitches of this project was a campaign game that is simpler than Oath, but even though the rules are as third as long as Oath, the game is four times harder to like yeah. play well.
0: Well, that's where that mastery of your systems like comes into play that's that's that whole thing with root too, where it's like you can get the root base game and learn it but you're not going to know how to play root for a while like it takes it takes that time to to click into that and I, I, I think I've seen people sort of curious because I think because of the timing of where we're at right now with y'all's launching the Kickstarter and everything most of what everybody is seeing about arcs is that small arcs and and we're not we haven't gotten a lot of that campaign flavor yet and i think that's going to be the thing that like really sells the idea on people because that's what people understood about what arcs was going to be before y'all really started posting about it everyone knew it was going to be some sort of campaign game and then the this split happened and it's it's caused a lot of people to sort of just not be a hundred percent sure of what the thing they're looking at is and i i that's why I'm excited to get some some campaign plays in because we have seen where that flavor and that asymmetry and all of that stuff comes in. It's just that you've also developed a, a significantly better onboarding experience for the people as opposed to the ones who try root go, I, I don't I didn't understand what anybody else was doing, so I guess I'm just gonna back off of it. And it's like, oh, you you quit too soon because you you missed out on, you know, all the complexity of the system. ARCs, they get to learn the basic system and then be slowly sort of drip fed even within the scope of the three i mean those three campaigns too get significantly more complex as you like the yeah. first one you start fairly basic and then by the third one you're playing a full game of everybody has a different power and is going for completely different goal i mean you're playing mm-hmm. a very complicated game of root by that third session yeah
1: yeah and, and this is a place where i think we are super attentive to the different audiences that we have mm-hmm. around our games and you know uh, i i okay so uh, here here here's the thing that i was, uh, that i'm like trying to articulate that i've just been thinking in it. not necessarily to y'all but just in general mm-hmm. uh kickstarters are funny because we don't have stretch goals anymore right you know we're not like we're not bootstrapping the company yeah the Kickstarter campaign is extremely important. I mean, it's the reason why we all have jobs. Crowdfunding is like the utter like foundation uh, of the, the financial security of, of the company. But we're also like, you know, we're not going to say, hey, if we make an extra 100 grand, like the minis, we'll, we'll paint faces on the minis uh-huh. or something, right? right? Yeah. Um, and so why have a crowdfunding campaign or like what is its what is its role in the, the broader picture? And so a while ago, I started thinking... I was actually talking to the throw throw burrito folks. Mm-hmm. This is many years ago. And we were, I w- we were having this conversation. I was like, yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of like a party. Like I feel like Kickstarters are like a big party that we get to throw. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we're inaugurating a community. We're saying like, Hey, this is our new boat. It's called arcs. And we want y'all to come. Anybody who's coming come now Yeah, because you're going to watch the game get finished. You're going to see it released. We're all going to share it together. And we're like inaugurating the, this sense of fellowship um, but as our community has grown, they've become less like raging parties and more like family reunions, <laughs> which is to say there's going to be all the cousins getting drunk in the parking lot and having the best flipping time, but there's also parts of your family that might not have met the other parts of your family. Yeah. Right. And I think that's something that we see a lot in like the arcs comment section where people are like, yes, plastic minis. And other people are like, You've changed, man. I, I thought you weren't into plastic minis. And I'm like, well, you know, you, these folks aren't seeing the big picture. And so I think a lot of the folks who uh, initially were like put off by the lack of the campaign game, I'm like, you, know, you have to understand there are a lot of people, many, like over 100,000, yeah. you know, uh, measured in tens of thousands of people, rather, who bought Root, love Root, have never bought an expansion. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, there are a lot of people who, like, love Oath, have never touched Fort. Mm-hmm, right. You know what I mean? And so I think, like, what we tried to do then is when we're building this product, we're thinking, like, okay, we're not, you know, we can't build something for everyone. But let's design a product that, if it does well, we don't hate ourselves for designing it in this way.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Mm-hmm. And so that kind of led to this, like, okay, we really want to make sure there's a very good entry point which is enough for the people who like our lighter games, but is also like a beautiful onboarding for the folks who want to jump into the heavier games. So ARX gets to sit on this kind of like transition point. Um, And I'm really happy with with it, but we do know that it's going to make the family reunion like a little awkward and that's okay. Right. Uh, Because I don't want to like privilege any part of that, any part of that group, especially because like, we're not just doing this to sell games. We're doing this because I think that like, ultimately it's the right way to introduce a game like yeah. this into the market. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so you know, the question that the one way to think about this is um, I think Isaac, knowing what he knows and having done all the work that is Isaac Childress would have probably done jaws of the lion first. hmm.
0: Right. Because it's the easier right. onboarding. It's just like the thing that everybody can pick up and play. Whereas I've myself still never touched Gloomhaven. Like, I just, it looks too it's, intimidating. It's a
1: large box that is hard to open physically. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It doesn't even um, up.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's just like, and I actually, I saw the Frosthaven box, and i, I caveat I love Isaac. I'm a big fan of Gloomhaven. But I saw the, the pictures of the Frosthaven box, and I was like, man, that box even looks hard to open. Yeah. It's even right. taller.
2: Right. Even getting in there is a challenge.
0: I just find, I find the the discourse around these kinds of things always sort of hilarious because expectations just, like, change everything. You know, we've, we've had Prophecy of Kings for Twilight Imperium for a while, and it still is, like, constantly people being like, should I get Prophecy of Kings? And it's like, how could I possibly answer that? Like, I don't know what you want and so i you know you see people being like at what level should i back arcs like should i do the base game or should i do the campaign and it's like i feel like you have to just know in your own heart like yeah, what no, you sure. where how you want to approach it i mean you know for hunter and i it's like i'm gonna back arcs at the same level i backed oath which is like i want that big huge behemoth Give me game all the and that's yeah, that's what need we all go things right i and need, and all need all the things. things but it's like you you don't have to have like a a uh, uh, an identity crisis <laughs> over whether or not it is okay for you to like just you know just get what you want and that's like the core philosophy of what you all have done is like well, we've given you the onboarding thing if you are if you're not sure um you that you know you can well, just do that
1: I, and I, I think you know this is a this is such an interesting like um late kickstarter And and what I mean is like the way we talk about capitalism and late capitalism, I think about like Kickstarter, the (laughs) Kickstarter and late Kickstarter, um, where where like, I think we are now in late Kickstarter. And and what I mean by that is um, I think at some point folks realized that uh, content, if you're going to build a game company, yeah uh, making family games hard, so hard, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, making like a brilliant Kit can uh, Euro extremely difficult, especially in Kickstarter, yeah. but making thematic content, rich games, pretty good way to, to have a Kickstarter. Company. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just like it, it, just in terms of the labor it requires the operation staff, the way it taps into the audience, like that seems to be the way to make it work. Yeah. Uh, but now in this late Kickstarter phase that we're in, uh, <laughs> There's so much content. Mm-hmm. There's just so much content. And uh I think they actually video games have experienced a version of this too. Uh I, like any red-blooded American, uh, will participate in the Steam sale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And will will purchase 300 dollars worth of game for $10. Yeah, right. Give me all the DLCs. Right. And um i i uh last summer i got endless space 2 oh, yeah. with all the dlcs mm-hmm. and i loaded up i loaded it up and i was like turn them all on yeah <laughs> and it was so it was so scary there were so many tool tips and pop-ups and yeah. tutorials they're like okay and here's hacking and here's galactic politics and here's this and i was like this game is a mess and i hate it yeah and then i was talking i think to patrick about it later and he was like oh yeah like that that game kind of had some problems with the DLCs. You should turn them all off. <laughs> and I turned them all off and I was like, oh, this is, I can deal with this. Yeah,
0: right. This is, a simple this
1: is of- like not absurd. And I think for board games, it, it's sort of the same thing. It's like, I really think, um, I, I try to be very conscious of entry points and what we ask of folks when they are just starting out. Yeah, And so, you know, uh, to, to give another example of this, like John Company is is a huge, huge game. Yeah but it has scenarios and guess what? Like the first scenario is simpler than the other scenarios. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, you definitely should start with it. And I'm not like trying to like hide the vision of the game by saying, Mm -hmm. start with the first Mm -hmm. scenario. I'm just like, know that I don't want you to eat this entire pie right now. Right. Well, Um,
0: I mean, it's, it's, it's hilariously, I mean, people are making kind of comparisons, you know, this is y'all's first space game and you know you're here on this Twilight Imperium show and what you said earlier is you've you've made a game that is a 6 hour game that can be split into you know multiple 2 hour sessions or whatever i mean this is what like twilight imperium fans have been sort of begging for to get their uh like less inoculated friends into it right it's like we we i would love a small twilight imperium to just sort of onboard people so that then later i can have them sit down for the super bowl session 8 hour let's do the whole thing but it's like to do that is such a difficult thing to ask of someone else. So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I I think it's the it's it's right on the tin of why you would do this kind of thing, because these these big, complex games like I mean, Hunter and I obviously have the patience to play an entire three sessions thing of arcs in one go like we will probably do that. Uh, not all right. the time, no. but like plenty often we'll just do the mm. whole thing in one sitting because we are a part of a community that's like huh, six hours. Pfft, I regularly play for twelve. It's fine. Like we right. can do two full sessions of arcs if we want to. Like <laughs> it, it's not asking that much of us. But that's because we have uh, have you know completely gone crazy with this. Because kind there's of something content. wrong with us. There's something wrong saying. with us. Yeah. Oh,
1: okay. Well, I okay. Have you? What is the fastest game of Ti that you've played? Probably. Four With like four players? Hour.
0: Yeah, like a three and to like, four player game in like four-ish like four, hours. Yeah. So
1: yeah. I, I played a game of TI3 where we were like all high schoolers. It was back, back in the Halcyon days. And we, 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 I had seven. There were seven of us. Ooh. And we went to a game store. And they were like, we close in four hours. And we thought, <laughs> yikes. But none of, we didn't want, none of us wanted to ask our parents for permission to set up TI uh-huh. on a dinner table. right? So we were like, let's do it. Right. And we played on a multi galaxy setup because it was a long, skinny table, mostly, yeah. was why we did it. Right. Mm. And um, we did a little bit of turn overlap where someone would be like, Hey, I'm not messing with you this turn. Go ahead and take your turn. Mm-hmm. And we got that game done in four, four, four and a half hours. We like definitely were like, right on the edge and it was like, thrilling. That's and insane. it felt so fast. Yeah. Yep. And I love talking to people for whom like a four hour game is like, that's a breeze. Yeah. How fast was that? Right. Four hours? Four hours, that's <laughs> insane. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah, I've, I've done that a couple times with 18xx games where it's like, did we just finish that in four hours? Hell yeah, well, look at know, us, look so fast. Us. <laughs> that was just so short. Um, no, and I think, you know, one thing about, so TI and Arcs. It's, it's just an interesting, they're interesting to compare. Because at the $60, I think it'll be 70 in retail, mm-hmm. like the core box, what are we competing with? We're competing with like Scythe, right. Kemet, Innis, um, games like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel I will go toe to toe with those games. I feel very comfortable about the game hitting there. But for someone who buys the campaign expansion, now they're spending TI money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's like 70 plus 50 for the campaign in retail. And it's right. like, well, you, you could have bought that TI on discount mm-hmm. and, and gotten a be premium because TI is 50, 100, 150 in retail. Job, yeah, i mean no I, I, I don't it. know a
0: person who's yeah, bought you, ti and msrp correct. in yeah, three me. years I, I bought it yeah exactly
1: i, I bought it the day it came exactly out. i pre-ordered um, it and
0: i was the last we were the last people to spend 150 bucks on ti yeah,
1: exactly <laughs> um but but just thinking about that i'm like okay well this is ti money so we're kind of competing with ti but i do think one of the biggest differences in the games is well i think that there, there are a few ti i think they're actually in different genres Like arcs is like a story war game. It's like a lot closer to an adventure game Mm -hmm. than it is to a, a Civ game. Right. And TI is very much like, this is a Civ game. Right. And I think that that actually changes how the games treat being broken up because I've played games of TI that we've, we've broken it over two sessions or three Yeah. Mm -hmm. and it works, but it works in this kind of funny way. Mm-hmm. because you're riding the, this power curve up to the end. And then when you have a break point, um, it feels very unnatural. Yeah, You're like, I, I kind of want to play another turn, but we need to eat like, right. or we need to go to sleep and then right. we'll finish it tomorrow. And then when you sit down, it feels like you're, you're sitting down at a chess game mm-hmm. that's half done and you're like, what yeah. was happening here? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. And, and,
1: and, I, and I think that is just where arcs is super, super, super different. Yeah. Uh, because arcs, you play, there's an intermission which kind of like lets you close out the section and kind of re sculpt your position. And then we, when you set up the game the next time, you're like, okay, this is what I have to do. Yeah. And I'm reminded um, there's a, 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 an RPG, Dragon Quest 10 or mm-hmm. 11, the, the Echoes of the Elusive Age, whatever the most recent. That's 11. Yeah, 11. It's a good one yeah um very good (laughs) and one of the things i love about it is i am at one point i played a lot of jrpgs that's not the person i am anymore mostly because i have other things that i'm doing but one thing i love about dragon quest love about it is it is so clearly designed to be played in 20 to 30 minute segments
2: Mm -hmm, and
1: when you load your save file instead of like showing you a pretty scene it has a little paragraph and the paragraph's like hey guy here's the last thing like a tv show yeah yeah here's the last thing that happened here's the next thing you need to do (laughs) yeah and it tells you and i i am so thankful for it because it has allowed me to play through the entire game in these 20 minute sections where Mm -hmm. i play 20 minutes every four days right that's you how i, I feel would be like, I,
0: that's why i that's why jrpgs are so unapproachable for for me is because yeah i need that kind i mean I, it's funny you're bringing this up because hunter is currently playing dragon quest 11 for our video game podcast our other show so he's yeah. very oh, much nice. got this on the line. but i'm not playing it because i'm like ah, jrpg are you kidding me I, with on top of everything else i'm doing no thanks but like all I want to do is play. I want to play that game. And Hunter's like, well, no, nah, you don't have time for it. He's like, oh, but maybe I could if I did it in little 20-minute increments. And so, no, Cole, it, I think you've convinced it's me it's to go great. get it. It's yeah. great. It's a um, bedtime game. I think that's what Tim game. Rogers called it. He called yes. it a bedtime game. He has dinner. Yeah. Ti- it's a dinner time. Dinner time. Yeah, yeah it's like a, yeah. yeah. He,
1: he, has, he has that moment as a review where he's like, you, you're wearing a bathrobe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's <laughs> like, you're just you're taking comfy. a bath time. Yeah, it's time for a little Dragon Quest. And I think that, um, you know, I... I think FF see sorry guys where this is now a JRPG podcast. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm
2: so here. I for think
1: it. I, I think FF6 kind of screwed me up mm-hmm. because I love that game so much, but it has this operatic quality and I remember like the last two JRPGs I really got into were FF6 and Tactics Ogre. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I love, I love Tekken so much that I, I sent, I, it was the first thing I ever bought on eBay. I sent a money order to some weirdo who had it and <laughs> it, it was in Japanese. Right. And so I, I played the entire game in Japanese using a game fax like translation wow. to kind wow. of like figure it out. But both those games are so operatic, so melancholy, so mm-hmm. serious. Mm-hmm. And so I, I couldn't access the genre for most of my college and graduate school years because I'm like, I don't have time for something this serious in my life right and then dragon quest was like what if it's just okay that it's kind of like dumb and stupid yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) and it like it's like a little bit how like like dragon ball is i think aging better than dragon ball z because Mm -hmm. you just need something like and it's no accident that the art is by the same person right but um but i think it's just you you want i think that genre is really well suited to a more, a slightly more casual engagement. Mm-hmm. Even though a lot of, the, even though like the person I was when I was sixteen, really wanted things to get like darker and more serious. Yeah. Sure. Like actually, like no, like play the game like S- Skies of Arcadia. Play, you know, play yeah, Dragon yeah. Quest. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I think I think Dragon Quest is fabulous. Yeah. Period.
2: It, if- you know. If the if the end point of this conversation is if arcs is Dragon Quest, then Twilight Imperium is Final Fantasy. Um, <laughs> I want. I just want to know who who is here for that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> exactly. See,
1: I'm putting up a real. Well, I, yeah, I, I'm putting up some real weird lines. No, but, but I, I love that, it. <laughs> yeah, no, because I, I think like especially the direction that Final Fantasy took. I played uh, before this foray into Dragon Quest. Uh, my partner and I played uh, Final Fantasy 12 mm-hmm. which was I, I never had any Playstations growing up, and twelve was like the game I was like jealous of my friends for having mm-hmm. because it looked cool and it looked like an error to six and that's yeah. very interesting yeah yeah um and 12 is so serious i think yeah. it's good but it's like it's just really it's real serious about yeah. everything oh yeah it's um, taking it's, it's um, it almost, weird almost laughably thing. yeah it um its opening is so confusing yeah it's like okay Three royal houses, two timelines. I mean, it was like it it, it is amazing how much it, uh, how much it like how many chips it puts on the table at the very beginning, right? Um, to the point where we were like, I think we accidentally skipped a cutscene and we were like, Oh, oh no, (laughs) do we have to to start this play over because we like don't know anyone's name, right? um, And and Dragon Quest Quest will remind you who people are constantly, yeah, yeah, like it, it knows you're busy, yeah, yeah, yep.
0: That is beautiful. <laughs> what we've just done here today. Well, and, and I want to, I do want to kind of go out on that note of like that, that that's the thing we've long said is like my favorite part of oath is like, Oh yeah, the, the game is great, obviously. And it's fun to have all the like sort of crazy making decisions, but like, I just love cleaning up. Oath. I love the sort of like, let's just kind of robotically check these things on the list and see like what the ramifications of everything was. And, The fact that in arcs you get to do that, like you get to check in on the game every once in a while, and I think Mm -hmm. Hunter and I keep in in Ti we constantly refer to like the seventh player or the game, and in arcs like because of all this terrifying die rolls and stuff, we keep referring to like the game punching you back. But like arcs is definitely a has a seat at the table and is and and the idea of wrapping up a session is the arcs player gets to step forward and be like, okay, let me sort of handle all of this for you and set up for the next thing. And and I love that ARC's uh, kind of, in its meanness and cruelty, still wants to take care of you and carry you through the experience.
1: Well, and it's, it's trying, I think, you know, um, I feel very divided in my design practice because, on the one hand, I do want to present things that are mechanically interesting, mm-hmm. that challenge people's assumptions about what games can do. But I'm also like I'm also I'm equally interested in like narrative and storytelling concerns and like what games can like tell. Yeah. And these ideas are sometimes in conflict. Um, and sometimes they're not in conflict. Oftentimes they they link up really, really beautifully. I mean, I think that in some respects, like jo- the the new dish of John Company is probably my most like narratively driven game. It's also by far the most like mechanically robust uh-huh. and like you know, supple design that, that, that I've worked on. Um, I, you know, we, okay, so th- I'll say just a couple things about ARCs and that cleanup and that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And thinking about that. So, one thing about Oath, this is a design quirk of Oath. Um, Oath was largely designed digitally. Right. Um, it, you know, there, there was that pandemic. Um, and we automated almost all of the teardown. So we'd like, you know, you hit a button in TTS and it like just kind of does it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that meant that when we started doing it physically after the game, almost after the game had come out, we were like, this is like a little long, this is like a little bit too long. Mm. And so when we were working on ARCs, I actually made, I worked on this game for almost a year without making a digital kit on purpose. I was like, I could make a digital kit. I have all right. the assets, but I, ARCS is in a box on my desk and yeah. it stays there because I want to really be feeling like I, I really want to be attentive to the feeling at the table, mm-hmm. and when it comes to teardown, we've kind of done something kind of similar. Where I said like, look, you know, Oath's teardown is around twelve steps. tear teardown is going to be five, mm-hmm. and they're going to be very clean. And there are going to be times when you can act at the same you act at the same times. So I want that intermission to be like, you know, it's going to it's got to be propulsive, but also it needs to be it needs to feel like. The end. It needs to have like the relief and that kind of like yeah. falling action of a good story. Um, whereas Oath's ending, the actual teardown is like mostly technical, yeah. because we really just want to make sure players don't screw up anything about the game. Right. Um, whereas whereas arcs is like no, this is like a weird micro turn that can be kind of like funny and silly. And um, you know, th- this is this is a little bit of an aside, but y'all will know that we are in the early stages of working on an Oath expansion. Mm-hmm. And one of the goals of the Oath expansion is to um, build out the meta and build out that intern to make it both simpler and more robust. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, so we're doing obvious things. So the Oath expansion is funny because it has these two parts. One of them is like, yes, there will be more cards. Yes, there will be more edifices. Right. But the, le- the, less, the less obvious part is I, I didn't want to just add like a layer of rules to the game. Instead, I kind of backed out and I was like, what if Oath as it exists right now is like the branch of a tree of Mm -hmm. Oath? And what if there are ways to like unwind some of the complexity and to let players wind it up in different articulations or, 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 or or less. And we can do that by making a slightly more open in game phase and to just trust the players a little more and be like, no, like, let's let them screw up their world a little bit. Right. Yeah like oh, that, wow. that that that's like in fact fine yeah um and so the and and i think that um and hopefully that, that can uh that's an example too of like the, the ways that oath and arcs are kind of like influence each other because mm-hmm. in some respects these are like sister projects and right then in other respects they are completely different mm-hmm. you know these, these are a pair of non-identical twins <laughs> <laughs>
0: we've got some fraternal twins here in yeah. our that's that's really good uh, yeah I, I i like that kind of idea that at least as it stands now we'll see how an oath expansion makes it look but like oaths end game thing is primarily about looking at what the next game is going to be because oath is right. constantly about moving forward into the next game whereas arcs wrap-up session is like let's put a pin in it let's conclude like let's give you a satisfying yep climax and conclusion to this beat of the story or whatever um yeah I love that and I love that the the philosophy between all these games is this kind of idea you know giving narrative a bit more room to grow especially when you get to those phases of the game where one player is like I'm out of it and I can't do any like all I can do is sort of maybe muck about but I just have I, I always appreciate that your your at the most part your recent entries have been like well, I want to give you something meaningful to do even when that's the case for you. Like, when, even when you're out mm-hmm. of it, like, let win-making enter the discussion or let whatever else, like, be a part of it. Like, the the, the idea of, well, at the very least, I can give my story a satisfying conclusion even yep. if it's not a win in the game against the other players. Like, at, at the very, very, by the end of the third session, it's hard to say how much that even matters. Like, who won the game of arcs? Like, did we all find... satisfying conclusion to the stories we were uh Mm -hmm. trying to support
1: well and 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 this and this is kind of a good point as we start winding down one of the things that I, i really like about about arcs is how it treats failure so arcs doesn't tell what players to arcs the campaign mode does not tell players what to care about yeah you have an objective and the way that objective works is at the bottom of your objective card it says like hey if you did this well you're going to get packet six. And if you do this well, you get packet four. And if you don't do well at all, you'll get one of these desperate packets. Right. And it'll have like two or three lines of text beneath each that aren't really flavor text. It's just telling you what's in the packet. Like, mm. hey, you did a good job unifying the systems. You're going to have to deal with a little bit of a rebellion and you'll also get this cool ship. And it's like, it's not even really flavor text. I'm just making it so you don't have to like rifle through the hint guide yeah, or something, yeah. right? right? Um, but so you have that fate. You're, you have power, which is a victory point game, and those victory points you're gonna be spending as like a coinage in the intermission, and mm-hmm. that's cool. But also because your player position goes directly into the next game, you could decide not to care about any of those things and instead to like work really hard to just unlock a couple technologies. Yeah, Because maybe like you don't really care what happens to your plot line, you just want a couple techs. Right. And, well, and, the g- and the game says, look, I'm not gonna tell you what to care about. You just do the thing that you think is right, And the thing that feels either narratively correct or that's going to give you the best chance in the the final round. Um, And then what will happen, though, is players will try things and fail constantly. Right. And the game will kind of mark you. So, for example, like you could start with one of the plot lines is about like building this big library, getting it on the board, and then you try to fill it with things. And maybe you built the library but screwed up the second part. And when you're looking at your plot choices, you're like, you know, I barely made it through, like I barely passed my first year of law school. <laughs> I could continue law school or I could be like the weirdo astrophysicist who also has a year of law school.
2: Yeah. Right? And yeah. so like
1: there are these funny pivots that kind of like mark you, like you're always you're always taking something forward to the next game. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think that's where this game's storytelling feels really good because you're like the spurned librarian who became a space pirate <laughs> yeah. and is now trying to start a separatist colony. Right, right. And, it like, and that's by the third game. So now, like, you've got a little, everyone's got a little villain backstory that they've been yeah. crafting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think th- it, that's a place where, where the game is showing its, um, its debt to the way, like, roguelikes do procedural storytelling. Yeah. And even some RPGs where it's like, no, every liability, every scar... That's like part of the asymmetry. Right. I was just too, thinking about Disco Elysium.
0: That. There's a there's yeah. a popular player in the root community that is a, a writer for Disco Elysium. Shout out uh, to them. But uh, it's, Justin K. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's their core philosophy in writing that game is like, there's no such thing as a fail state. Like you can miss a role, but that's just a different storyline that you've yeah, for now sure, gone right? down. So, so when we talk about the dice are crazy mean in arcs, I think a misconception that that could happen is like, well, you never like Hunter was saying earlier, you can do a roll and then nothing happens. And it's like, but that nothing happening is what leads to your next decision. Like now you have to, it's not just like, like in TI, you can, you know, you can whiff a dice roll and it's like, well, this combat is gone for me and and now I've failed at everything and now I'll never get back into the lead and this game is over for me.
2: Yeah. Cause the action economy of Twilight Imperium is you're doing this right now. Yeah. And then an hour later, you will get another chance at doing, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, like uh, with, with uh, arcs, it's like immediately you feel the ramifications of the bad thing that just happened. Yeah. Yeah. In Twilight yeah. Imperium, it's like I failed, and now I'm going to be in failure mode, and I'm going to frown yeah. for the next 30, 45 minutes. Right, and then maybe I will get another shot yeah. at doing something mm-hmm. else or trying yeah. something else. But, but immediately be... in Arcs, you're just like, uh oh, time to pivot, well, time to do
0: something yeah. different. Time, time. Uh, to what find... do I do now? Right, <laughs> the, the ship is crashing. How do I abandon the ship in the most elegant way possible? Yes,
1: <laughs> mm. or inelegant as long as it's right. funny. Yeah. Right. <laughs>
0: Well, that's amazing. Uh, I, I feel like that's a good place to sort of wrap it. I think people just need to to get this game themselves and experience this campaign. Um, and if the campaign makes you nervous, like that's why you've got the base game to try first. Yep, uh, but sure. if the if the base game you feel like you're maybe sort of uh, missing some of that like leader games asymmetric flair, like know that that is there too. So I I, I really I do hope people sort of understand the the multiple promises y'all have in this kind of structure of of this kickstarter because i i think it's an easy way to onboard but also the depth is there i mean it it is a combination of everything y'all have have done for the past many years and and i i hope that uh people see that uh, in all of it so cole thank you so much for for hanging out yeah. with us today it's always obviously uh just so so fun to have you on the show uh i, I hope we can do it again uh, very soon. Yeah, it
1: was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you guys so much.
0: I want to thank our weird bears: Big Al, Cappuccino, Anvalir, Squeamish, Emu, Brassbird, Brian, Kalu, and Dark Jutsu Goondock. Ignoring my PhD, Carnal, Totally Calculating Poet, Kindred Spirit, Alice, Lord Raddington, Bagels, Emleshewski, SunFax, Absol, Ricky M Forty Four, Rwise, and Fancy Zeeling. An extra special thank you to all those weird bears and all previous weird bears who took part in Dreamhack Beyond last weekend. And a reminder to everybody else to uh, check out our stream for Dreamhack Dallas. This weekend, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. Anyways, I also want to thank Mama's Lovely Larva. My son is also named Bort. Tautology is what it is. Frank G, Rekka, Jadim Jedi, Graxer, Rolo, Uncle Batty, and Teddy's Jam. For you, we are withholding uh, a new Galactic Council poll until next week, so look forward to that Galactic Council. And we'll be able to figure out what our June episode will get to be. And Homebrewers Guild, we are still workshopping a ninth strategy card in the effort to reveal more public objectives throughout a standard game of Twilight Imperium. So go hop into the Homebrewers Guild channel on our Discord, and we will have that stream here. In some sort of couple of weeks, uh, the semifinals schedule is just now solidifying, and it's occupying many of the upcoming weekends, so trying to squeeze in this Homebrewers Guild uh, it might end up happening on a weekday, so if you want to play in that and you're in the Homebrewers Guild, maybe let's find a weekday. That that's going to have to happen. Uh, you can also rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or really wherever you listen to it. And if you do that, it makes the computers think we're smarter than we are. And they come and they invite more people to listen to our show. So do it for the computers, everybody. You can also find more information about our Patreon, our Twitter, our Discord, our merch, and everything at SpaceCatsPeaceTurtles.com. You can also send us This Imperium Life Stories or Plays of the Week to SpaceCatsPeaceTurtles at gmail.com. Uh, I'm gonna... I. Uh, it's just me now. I'm alone again after... Uh, did you? Was that a seamless transition from interview to solo, Matt? I don't know. But uh, I'm not gonna do a... I'm not doing a story. Instead, enjoy this wonderful behind-the-scenes exclusive with our interview that we just did. We just did it with Cole Worley. Behind-the-scenes exclusive. Here it is. One, two, three.
1: Wonderful. I, I want you know. to know that CRISPR just completely eliminated it. Oh yeah trap. yeah. <laughs> it was not it was not recognized.
0: I've turned all of that stuff off in Discord. I like don't I don't trust the all the yeah. automation stuff in. Discord. I was
1: asphyxiating because I was laughing so hard at a joke my friend was telling and uh, it couldn't be heard and I re- because of Christopher and I realized oh this was going to kill someone. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Their their wailing cries will not be heard because the noise suppression just completely Yeah. They thought it was a potato. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>